Good morning. My name is Lorna Howell, and this is my husband, Don. And we've been attending TCC for 12 years since the church was first built here. So there's three passages for today's scripture reading, and we're reading from the New International Version. Exodus 20, 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Ephesians 4, verses 15 to 25. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And Ephesians 4, 29 to 32. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Lorna. Don? Well, welcome. It's good to see so many of you this morning. I know we have a large group of junior high students and leaders at Camp Caroline for the retreat this weekend. They're wrapping up their morning session this morning and then heading home. And so we want to be praying for them that God would speak to them there, even as he speaks to us here, and that uh, they would have a safe trip back. For those of you who perhaps I haven't met, I'm Norb. I'm one of the pastors here at TCC. And If I haven't had a chance to meet you personally, I would love for you to do that today. Come seek me out, even if you're not staying for brunch. I always usually try to make my way to that door, greet people staying for brunch. But uh, if you're not, come say hi. Um, Sometimes we see names in our digital friendship book because you signed it, and, uh, and we don't have a face to put to that name. So come say hi. We'd love to get to know you a little bit um, as well. Well, last year... um, a prominent scientist was forced to apologize after pranking his Twitter followers with a photo. Etienne Klein posted a picture of what he claimed was a high-powered telescope image. Klein captioned the photo, Proxima Centauri, the nearest star to the sun, 
located 4.2 light years away from us. It was taken by the James Webb Space Telescope. This level of detail, a new world is unveiled every day. Well, as it turns out, the dark reddish orb with speckles of orange and white was not, in fact, a star. Instead, it was a close-up image of a slice of chorizo sausage, which, if you didn't know, is a spicy sausage of Spanish origin. Well, Klein then revealed the ruse in a series of subsequent posts. And Klein said, According to contemporary cosmology, no object related to Spanish charcuterie exists anywhere else other than on Earth. While well, he later apologized, explaining that his point was to prevent people from taking internet photos at face value, especially those, quote, that seem to speak for themselves. Not everything you read on the internet or Twitter is true. Did you know that? The James Webb Telescope actually went operational in July of 2022 and is capable of viewing phenomena through infrared light, which is invisible to the naked eye. And it's been a popular attraction for people searching for rare astronomical photos. So after apologizing, Klein posted a photo of the cartwheel galaxy from the telescope, which he then repeatedly had to assure his followers that it was real. You see, even when joking, we must be careful not to deceive others. Otherwise, we contribute to a breakdown in communal trust. This morning, we are considering the ninth commandment found in Exodus 20 and verse 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, most of the time, we see this simply as do not lie. And as we will see, it's that and so much more. We've been making our way through the Ten Commandments found here in Exodus 20 since late September. Next Sunday, Pastor Adam will preach the last uh, of the ten, and then we're going to shift our focus to some Advent themes uh, beginning on December 3rd. And does anyone else have a hard time to believe that we're heading into December and that five weeks from today is Christmas Eve? Well, throughout this series, we have been saying that God has provided for us a way to live, a way that brings honor to him, that provides a pathway to freedom for us and a way for the community to flourish. And this is so true of this issue of false testimony because trust is a foundational requirement in a free and just society. False witness or untruth destroys relationships and community. And what the ninth commandment presents as an alternative to untruth is a way of truthfulness. A columnist for Time magazine once wrote, The injunction against bearing false witness, branded in stone and brought down by Moses from the mountaintop, has always provoked ambivalent, conflicting emotions. On the one hand, nearly everybody condemns lying. And on the other hand, nearly everybody does it every day. That seems a little over the top, doesn't it? But if the statistics can be believed, almost everybody lies. 
The person sitting to your right lies. The person sitting to your left lies. The person sitting in your chair lies. In fact, 91% of us lie regularly. And the majority of us find it hard to make it through a week without lying. One in five can't make it through a single day. Some of us have already lied today. Probably at church of all places, if you can imagine. How, you ask? Well, maybe someone asked you on your way in, how are you or how was your week? And you said, great, fine, good. And you aren't great or fine or good. In fact, just yesterday, I asked someone how their week was, and their immediate response was, great. And 15 minutes later, I got a text, quote, my default button is always to say my week was great, but actually my week wasn't great now that I'm sitting down. I'm sitting here convicted that I lied to you, so now you know my week was only okay a few hard things. So, to discover what it means to not give false testimony, I will, as I have in past messages in the series, just ask and then answer a series of questions. So the first question is simply this, what does the ninth commandment then mean? You see, the ninth commandment was given in the context of a society where nearly all crimes carried the death sentence. And so as a successful false witness would then also ultimately be equivalent to murder. So it was critical in a courtroom to not have any false, misleading, deceiving, fraudulent evidence. And in a time when no forensic evidence existed or DNA evidence or video evidence, everything hinged on the witness testimony. You see, justice depended on the people telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Daryl Johnson, in his book, That You May Live, How the Ten Commandments Lead to Human Freedom, he outlines three safeguards in the justice system in, the far, uh, in, the, in ancient times. And the intent was to, quote, help people think twice about giving false witness. And so you'll see why people would think twice by some of these safeguards. Number one, each testimony had to be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Deuteronomy 19 verse 15 says, One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. This requirement was also the expectation in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, writing to his protege Timothy, says, Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. 1 Timothy 5.19. So you'll, you'll read that quite a few times in reference to testimony. There have to be two or three witnesses. Now why two or three witnesses? Because we're more likely to tell the truth in the presence of others who also know the truth. So a second safeguard, if a witness then proved to be false, that is, they lied in their testimony, the witness was then to receive the punishment that the person originally on trial would have received. So again, in Deuteronomy 19.19, 19, 
due to the false witness as that witness intended to do to the other party. So this is how this worked, right? If you were sentenced to time in jail because of my false testimony, and then my lie was later discovered, I would have to go to jail and serve the time that you had been sentenced to. So you see why there was motivation to tell the truth, which of course was especially true if the sentence was the death penalty. And that leads me then to the ultimate safeguard. Number three, in those days, the witness became the executioner. Deuteronomy 17.7, the hands of the witnesses must be the first in putting that person to death. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that would be a pretty compelling reason to tell the truth, wouldn't it? Because if the witness lied while giving testimony, and then that testimony actually resulted in that person being put to death, they would, they then knew that they would be the one carrying out the sentence. So not only would they break the ninth commandment by giving false testimony, but the sixth as well, and then they themselves would be, in fact, guilty of murder. So then, and now, it's absolutely critical that we tell the truth the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And when you look at the whole Bible, we discover that the ninth commandment is applicable beyond the courtroom, and it impacts every part of our lives. It calls us to be true witnesses in all of life, to live the way of truthfulness, because before God, we are always under oath. God commands us to be truthful in every context. So we are guilty of lying then when we intentionally deceive, when we fabricate a false report, when we tell a half-truth, or even if we deliberately withhold information. You see, white lies, they're still lies. We lie when we exaggerate and when we mislead. We lie when we gossip and when we slander. So giving false witness is a serious issue. And I'll come back and unpack some of the ways that we break this commandment in a little bit. But that leads me to another question. Then why was this commandment given? You see, the ninth commandment, if you've noticed and been following along, it's a little different from some of the other commandments. It doesn't just say, do not lie, like it says, do not murder and do not commit adultery and do not steal. This commandment has this added phrase, against your neighbor. Your neighbor, in other words, needs you to speak the truth. We can't have healthy relationships and community without truth-telling. And this commandment was then, in fact, given for the sake of community. So where lies damage and destroy community, truthfulness then actually allows a community to flourish. Lewis Smead said this about truthfulness. He said, truthfulness is an invisible fiber that holds people together in human community. You know this from experience, right? Relationships require and are built on trust. And trust then requires telling the truth. When we can't assume that people communicating with us are truthful, we cannot live with them or work with them 
because trust has been broken. That trust has been violated. So once again, we see that God has made a way for us and this community that we would be a part of to flourish, right? We've seen this in every commandment. He loves us. He knows what's best for us. And so these instructions, these commands are, are helpful to us. They, they, they create a pathway for us. And this is why the Bible repeatedly tells us to be careful about what we say. Because we are to love our neighbors, our heart then should be to seek their well-being. So Paul captures this when he writes to the Ephesians, and this is one of the verses that was read for us already. Ephesians 4 verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Right? We're part of this community of God's people. We're, we're part of this, this society that really depends on people telling the truth in every sphere that we go in, whether we're in marketing or whether we're a mechanic and somebody tells you you need a new transmission, right? We have to trust that we need a new transmission. So it just impacts every area of our lives. Now, this commandment was also given because it reflects the character of God. Like the other commandments, the ninth emerges from who God is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is the one true God and the God of truth. Jesus himself declared, I am the way and the truth and the life. John 14, verse 6. (coughs) Excuse me. And then a few verses later, he declares the Holy Spirit to be the spirit of what? Truth. And so if we ever wonder how God feels about lies and deception, we just need to turn to Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates. So right off the top, strong language. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, so pride. A lying tongue, there's that uh, falsehood. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness, there it is again, who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. And sometimes the way that we stir up conflict in the community is by sharing a falsehood, by passing on a rumor, by gossiping about something. So how do we break this commandment? Well, I've just touched on this a little, but let's take a little deeper dive into the how. I've used in previous messages some of the historic catechisms to find a good summary of what is meant by each commandment. And for those of you who are maybe unfamiliar with that language, a a catechism is really a summary of biblical and theological teaching that was intended to help people learn. And often kids would go through catechism classes and they would have these questions and answers. Well, in the Heidelberg Catechism, which was put together in 1563... Question 112 is this, what is the aim of the ninth commandment? Okay, so here is the answer now. That I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, 
not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. Rather, in court and everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are the very devices the devil uses, and they would call down on me God's intense wrath. I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it. And I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. That's from the Heidelberg Catechism. So let's just touch on that a little bit. That I never give false testimony against anyone. In the, in the Hebrew Bible, there's, I think, six different ways of referring to this false testimony um, concept and word. And there's 16 passages that speak to it. So it's not a small theme in the Bible. It's, it's addressed over and over again. And then it says, twist no one's words. When you think about that, it's, it's easy to do, right? We are quick to retell a story where maybe we leave out certain details so that we can appear the victim And we emphasize what they said and how bad it was, but we never actually acknowledge maybe what we said or what we contributed to the conversation. Or we don't gossip or slander. In fact, even listening to gossip or slander, you're participating in this idea of being a false witness. And by gossip, we mean passing along a rumor or a report that can't be confirmed, okay? So we we pass this untruth along. But it's actually even more than that. Even if it is true, we should ask ourselves, is it necessary for me to pass that along, right? We're so quick to say, oh, did you hear so-and-so? He lost his job. Oh, Oh, did you hear? They're splitting up. And we're so quick to pass along that stuff. Now, if it's good news, you know, they won an award, they got a promotion at work. Hey, did you hear? Like, we want to celebrate that. But we should ask ourselves, why am I wanting to pass this along? And more importantly, is it necessary for me to pass this along? There is this phrase, not nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. We've all heard this line, they're innocent until proven guilty. But too often in a world of Twitter and social media and stuff, we're proved guilty even though we may be innocent. You see, we should always withhold a final verdict. We shouldn't condemn anyone rashly but withhold a final verdict until we, we have all of the information, right? Some false report goes out on Twitter and it has like, you know, 4,000 retweets. But then, a, you know, a retraction to the story comes. Oh, I was wrong. And it gets like 300 retweets. The damage has been done. It's out there. There's nothing we can do. I like the line when it says, rather in court, because we talked about that, and everywhere else, right? This applies 
in the home. It applies in your workplace. It applies on your sports teams, wherever you find yourselves. I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. Do you ever ever think that exaggeration is a form of deceit? Right? The fish was this big when it was like this. Right? We could all think of so many times where, where we use words like, well, you always do this or you never do this. And when we use those, those words, it's like, well, it's not quite true. No, I get it. Even Jesus used hyperbole or exaggeration for effect. But that's not usually the case when it's just common everyday speech. And here's the point. He says, these are the very devices the devil uses. Right? Who Jesus says is the father of lies. Well, and then it ends. And I think this is so good. I should love the truth. Like that should be our posture. Let's, let's just be people who walk in this way of truthfulness. Who love honesty. Who Pursue integrity. And so I should love the truth, speak it candidly, I'm going to come back to that, and openly acknowledge it. And I should do what I can, and I love this last line, to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. Isn't that good? To guard and then even advance my neighbor's good name. Think about it. Wouldn't we want others to do the same for us? Well, there's many ways that we can lie and deceive, and maybe right now you're processing something that you've said in the last week. But I'm reminded of a story where a woman had walked into a butcher shop just before closing, and she asks, do you still have any chicken? While the butcher opens his freezer, he takes out the only chicken that's left, puts it on the scale, and it weighs 1.5 kilograms. So the woman looks at the chicken and at the scale and asks, well, do you have one that's a little bit bigger than this one? And so the butcher puts his only chicken back into the freezer. (laughs) You know where this is going, right? And then he takes it out again. But this time when he puts it on the scale, he just craftily keeps his thumb on the scale And now it shows two kilograms. Well, that's wonderful, said the woman. I'll take both chickens, please. (laughs) So, the moral of the story, be sure that your lies or your deception will find you out. You know, why do we break this commandment? Like, what's the motivation behind it? I'm just going to touch on this quickly because I think it, it helps to maybe go, well, they're, they're, yeah, we do it, but, but what's going on underneath? What, what's happening there? And there, there can be any number of reasons, and I captured a bunch in my studies this week. And so one is just malice. Like when you think about it, we, we, we just have this strange desire to maybe to want to hurt other people. And so we are quick to pass on a story without first checking the facts. Maybe it's pride right? We, we want to impress other people, and so we exaggerate 
Maybe we exaggerate our, our credentials or our, um, you know, academic or, or athletic accomplishments. But basically what we do when we exaggerate is we're stretching the truth to make uh, the facts look better. And ultimately then we think, well, that'll make us look better. Or selfishness, where we exalt ourselves above other people, right? Sometimes uh, we're motivated by self-interest even when we flatter someone, right? Flattery is insincere and excessive praise. Someone once said that flattery is saying things to a person's face that you'd never say behind their back. Or jealousy might be a motivation, right? We don't like what others have or what they've achieved, and so maybe we just tell a little untruth or twist the facts a little bit. Insincerity, or sorry, insecurity, right? We, we don't want others to know about the real me, and so we get caught in something, and we don't tell the truth. Sometimes it's revenge. You want to get back at other people. Well, they said this, and so we compound the problem by saying something else. Fear is probably the, one of the biggest motivators, right? We're fear of consequences, right? When you think back, come on, think back to time as a kid when you lied to your parents. What was the motivation? right? We're afraid that we're going to get into trouble. Who ate the cookies? I didn't, right? And one more, embarrassment. In fact, in some studies, they said 92% said the main reason that they lie was to save face. We want to cover for ourselves. Now, when you think of that, it's actually a pretty ugly list, right? And to this, Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 29 through 31, and really this should be our kind of guiding principle when it comes to our speech. Listen to this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Right? That's the loving your neighbor. That's the seeking their well-being. That it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Right? We're under oath to God. The Spirit of God that lives within us is the Spirit of truth. And that's why even that text that I got yesterday, I, I said I appreciate your honesty and your sensitivity to the Spirit. That was my response. Because that's what it takes. But we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. Why? Because it may make us say things we'll regret. Rage and anger for the same reasons. Brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Why? We want others to be kind and compassionate to us. And so in a community that flourishes, we then are kind and compassionate to others as well. 
forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So how do we keep this commandment? Let me just try to summarize a few things that I've already touched on. Number one, we need to watch our tongues. Just start there, right? When Paul wrote here in Ephesians 4 verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. How do we do that? We need to, as Daryl Johnson says, bite our tongues, right? We need to really pay attention. Maybe we need to pause, think about what we really should say, not what we're tempted to say. In James, um, if you read through the book of James, there's a lot that he writes about the tongue, but in verse chapter 1, verse 26, he says, those who consider themselves religious, <clears throat> okay, are we in that category? And yet, do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Those are some strong words. And then he says in chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Remember what our moms and dads taught us? If you can't say something nice, don't say what? Anything at all. Or maybe that was Thumper and Bambi, but... So watch our tongue. Number two, refuse to engage in inappropriate conversations. So this is not just saying some of the things, but this is sometimes actually listening or engaging in the conversation. So we need to ask ourselves, like, is this conversation right now benefiting anyone? Or quite simply, would I be talking about this if the person I'm talking about was present? Thirdly, seriously consider the why. I, I talked about some of the motivations for why we might be tempted to shade the truth or say something or pass on a rumor or something like that, but why am I tempted in that way? Why did I misrepresent the truth? You know, what is it about me and what is it about my character that, that maybe hasn't yet been transformed by the Spirit of God? Why did I just say, you know, I'm great by default? When in fact, maybe I'm just okay. And it's okay to admit that. So why, why, why? Seriously, consider the why. Four, practice speaking the truth in love. This is Ephesians 4, verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Now, if you read that whole passage, again, it's, written to a church, it's written to a a community of people. And the way that community flourishes is when we practice speaking the truth in love. And I use that word intentionally because we're not very good at it. 
And the way you get good at something is by practicing it. And sometimes we slip up and we are way more truthful than we are loving. And it's hurtful. And sometimes we're so loving that we're untruthful. And so we need to really pay attention to that. Because at times it's going to be hard. But if our posture is that we want to seek the well-being of others, that we love our neighbors, that we want to seek our neighbors good, then we should be people who speak the truth in love to them and about them. Right? And we know how this goes sometimes. Some people try to hide the truth and they call it love. And then sometimes others are so truthful that they'll destroy you with truthfulness and call that love. But what the Bible says is that truth in love then builds up. That's how we become mature, right? See, there's things in my life that I'm ignorant to. I I don't maybe see it, and I do it, and I, I can say things that I didn't intend to be hurtful, but it was hurtful. And so when Tina or a staff member or somebody comes to me and says, I, I just need you to know that when you said this, it hurt me. It's like, wow. <laughs> I'm going to be more careful about what I say. And I'm going to be sensitive to the words that I use. So we need to be people who practice speaking the truth in love. It's a biblical command, Right? Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. And fifthly and lastly, I'm going to say it both ways. I think we need to accept and extend God's forgiveness. See, once again, this ninth commandment, like the eight before it and the tenth to come next week, have shown me that I have a problem that I sin, and therefore I am in need of a Savior. And so are you. So we come to Jesus. We confess and repent, and we accept his forgiveness. And we forgive those who by their words, and maybe even their false testimony, have hurt us deeply. Maybe you missed out on a promotion at work, Because somebody, motivated maybe by jealousy or whatever the reason was, said things about you that weren't true. And you know the sting and the pain of that. But we need to forgive just as God forgave us. And see, here's the truth about the gospel. Pete Scazzaro says that the gospel says that you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believed. Yet you are more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope because Jesus lived and died in our place. To which Daryl Johnson says, I no longer need to hide from myself or hide from others or hide from God. I no longer need to cover up or exaggerate. 
I need no longer to pull others down to make me look good, for I am loved. The same light that exposes my deceitful heart loves me and understands me and forgives me and sets me free. The same light, that Jesus, Jesus' love, it exposes our deceitful heart, but yet loves me and understands me and forgives me and sets me free. And that's why these Ten Commandments are a pathway to freedom. It's a pathway to how we flourish in community. When we speak the truth, when we can trust one another, and when we walk in the way of truthfulness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just the clarity with which it speaks. Somehow I'm reminded about the psalmist saying, your word is a light onto my path and a light onto my way. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. And we know we live in a culture where people look to the Bible and see it as irrelevant and out of touch and all of those things. But, Father, as your people, we want to be a people of the word, a people who study the word, and we come to it, and we, we see that you have so clearly laid out a way. And it just, it makes sense. And it works. And where we get ourselves in trouble and where we cause untold hurt and pain is when we take things into our own hands and we do things our way. So Father, I thank you for just the series of messages that we've been in as we've looked at these commandments. When we're tempted to think they're for an ancient time, we realize just how critical it is to live according to your way in 2023. And so Father, I do pray that without, you know, downplaying hurt or pain because this issue has caused hurt and pain. Trust is broken oftentimes in marriage relationships between parents and their kids, between co-workers. So Lord, maybe this has touched a a raw nerve with some people today. So I pray that you bring healing and hope to that situation. Bring peace. But Father, I pray for all of us that we really would consider the way that we talk to one another and what we share about ourselves and about others and that we would be a people who walk the way of truthfulness. Father, there's no doubt that when we examine our speech, there's going to be things that surface that Maybe we do need to confess and repent. Maybe we need to go and say, I'm sorry and apologize. But I pray that you would give us the courage to do what we need to do in response to your word so we can live according to your way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.